Book 1, chapters 26 through 30 of Against Juvenianius by St. Jerome. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Coming to the Gospel, he sets before us Zacharias and Elizabeth, Peter and his mother-in-law, and, with a shamelessness to which we have now grown accustomed, fails to understand that they too ought to have been reckoned among those who served the law. For the Gospel had no being before the crucifixion of Christ, it was consecrated by his passion and by his blood. In accordance with this rule, Peter and the other apostles, I must give Juvenionius something now and then out of my abundance, had indeed wives. But those which they had taken before they knew the gospel, but once they were received into the apostolate, they forsook the offices of marriage. For when Peter, representing the apostles, says to the Lord, Lo, we have left all and followed thee, the Lord answered him, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that has left house, or wife, or brethren, or parents, or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this time, and in the world to come eternal life. But if, in order to show that all the apostles had wives, he meets us with the words, Have we no right to lead about women or wives? For gene in Greek has both meanings even as the rest of the apostles and Cephas and the brethren of the Lord, let him add what is found in the Greek copies. We have no right to lead about women that are sisters or wives. This makes it clear that the writer referred to other holy women who, in accordance with Jewish custom, ministered to their teachers of their substance, as we read was the practice with even our Lord himself. Where there is a previous reference to eating and drinking, and the outlay of money, and mention is afterwards made of women that are sisters, it is quite clear, as we have said, that we must understand not wives, but those women who ministered of their substance. And we read in the same counts in the Old Testament of the Shumanites, who was wont to welcome Elisha, and to put for him a table and bread and a candlestick, and the rest. At all events, if we take Ganechus, to mean wives, not women, the addition of the word sisters destroys the effect of the word wives, and shows that they were related in spirit, not by wedlock. Nevertheless, with the exception of the Apostle Peter, it is not openly stated that the Apostles had wives, and since the statement is made of one while nothing is said about the rest, we must understand that those of whom Scripture gives no such description had no wives. Yet Juvenianius who has arrayed against us Zacharias and Elizabeth, Peter and his wife's mother, should know that John was the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth, that is, a virgin was the offspring of marriage, the gospel of the law, chastity of matrimony, so that by a virgin prophet, the virgin Lord, might both be announced and baptized. But we might say concerning Peter that he had a mother-in-law when he believed, and no longer had a wife, although in the sentences we read of both his wife and daughter. But for the present, our argument must be based wholly on Scripture. He has made his appeal to the apostles because he thinks that they who hold the chief authority in our moral system and are the typical Christian teachers were not virgins. If then we allow that they were not virgins, and with the exception of Peter, the point cannot be proved. 
Yet I must tell him that it is to the apostles that the words of Isaiah relate. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, we should have been like unto Gomorrah. So then, they who were by birth Jews could not under the gospel recover the virginity which they had once lost in Judaism. And yet John, one of the disciples, who was related to have been the youngest of the apostles, and who was a virgin when he embraced Christianity, remained a virgin, and on that account was more beloved of our Lord, and lay upon the breast of Jesus. And what Peter, who had a wife, did not dare ask, he requested John to ask. And after the resurrection, when Mary Magdalene told them that the Lord had risen, they both ran to the sepulchre, but John outran Peter. And when they were fishing in the ship on the lake of Gennesaret, Jesus stood upon the shore, and the apostles knew not who it was they saw. The virgin alone recognized a virgin, and said to Peter, It is the Lord. Again, after hearing the prediction that he must be bound by another, and led whither he would not, and must suffer on the cross, Peter said, Lord, what shall this man do? Being unwilling to desert John, with whom he had always been united, our Lord said to him, What is that to thee? if I wish him so to be. Whence the saying went abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Here we have a proof that virginity does not die, and that the defilement of marriage is not washed away by the blood of martyrdom. For virginity abides with Christ, and its sleep is not death, but a passing to another state. If, however, Jovinianius should obstinately contend that John was not a virgin, whereas we have maintained that his virginity was the cause of the special love our Lord bore to him, let him explain, if he was not a virgin, why it was that he was loved more than the other apostles. But you say the church was founded upon Peter, although elsewhere the same is attributed to all the apostles, and they all received the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and the strength of the church depends upon them all alike. Yet one among the twelve is chosen, so that when a head has been appointed, there be no occasion for schism. But why was not John chosen, who was a virgin? Deference was paid to age, because Peter was the elder. One who was a youth, I may say almost a boy, could not be set over men of advanced age. And a good master who was bound to remove every occasion of strife among his disciples, and who had said to them, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, and he that is greater among you, let him be the least of all, would not be thought to afford cause of envy against the youth whom he had loved. We may be sure that John was then a boy because ecclesiastical history most clearly proves that he lived to the reign of Trajan, that is, he fell asleep in the 68th year after our Lord's Passion, as I have briefly noted in my treatise on illustrious men. Peter is an apostle, and John is an apostle, but the one a married man, the other a virgin. But Peter is an apostle only. John is both an apostle and an evangelist and a prophet. An apostle because he wrote to the churches as a master, an evangelist because he composed a gospel, a thing which no other apostles except Matthew did, a prophet, for he saw in the island of Patmos to which he had been banished by the emperor Domitian, as a martyr for the Lord, an apocalypse concerning the boundless mysteries of the future. 
Tertullian, moreover, relates that he was sent to Rome, and that having been plunged into a jar of boiling oil, he came out fresher and more active than when he went in. But this very gospel is widely different from the rest. Matthew, as though he were writing of a man, begins thus, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Luke begins with the priesthood of Zacharias, Mark with a prophecy of the prophets Malachi and Isaiah. The first has the face of a man on account of the genealogical table, the second the face of a calf on account of the priesthood, the third the face of a lion on account of the voice of one crying in the desert, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. But John, like an eagle, soars aloft and reaches the Father himself, and says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and so on. The virgin writer expounded mysteries which the married could not, and to briefly sum up all and to show how great was the privilege of John, or rather of virginity in John, the virgin mother was entrusted by the virgin Lord to the virgin disciple. But we toil to no purpose, for our opponent urges us against the apostolic sentence, and says, Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not beguiled, but the woman being beguiled hath fallen into transgression, but she shall be saved through the childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with sobriety. Let us consider what led the apostle to make this declaration. I desire, therefore, that the men pray in every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath and disputing. But in due course he lays down rules of life for the women and says, in like manner that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly raiment, but which becometh women professing godliness through good works. Let a woman learn in quietness with all subjection, but I permit not a woman to teach nor have dominion over a man, but to be in quietness and that the lot of the woman might not seem a hard one, reducing her to the condition of a slave to her husband, the apostle recalls the ancient law and goes back to the first example that Adam was first made, then the woman out of his rib, and that the devil could not seduce Adam, but did seduce Eve, and that after displeasing God, she was immediately subjected to the man and began to turn to her husband, and he points out that she who once tied with bonds of marriage, was reduced to the condition of Eve, might blot out the old transgression by the procreation of children, provided, however, that she bring up the children themselves in the faith and love of Christ, and in sanctification and chastity. And we must not adapt the faulty reading of the Latin texts, sobrieteus and castateus, that is, sophronthroni, you should see how you are mastered by the witness of this passage also, and cannot be driven to admit that what you thought was on the side of marriage tells in favor of virginity. For if the woman is saved in childbearing, and the more the children, the greater the safety of the mothers, why did he add, if they continue in faith and love and sanctification with chastity, the woman will then be saved if she bear not children who will remain virgins? if what she has herself lost she attains in her children and makes up for the loss and decay of the roots by the excellence of the flower and fruit 
above in passing when our opponent adduced to solomon who although he had many wives nevertheless built the temple i briefly replied that it was my intention to run over the remaining points now that he may not cry out that both solomon and others under the law prophets and holy men have been dishonored by us let us show what this very man with his many wives and concubines thought of marriage for no one can know better than he who suffered through them what a wife or woman is well then he says in the proverbs the foolish and bold woman comes to want bread what bread surely that bread which cometh down from heaven and he immediately adds the earth-born perish in her house rush into the depths of hell who are the earth-born that perish in her house they of course who follow the first adam who is of the earth and not the second who is from heaven and again in another place like a worm in wood so a wicked woman destroyeth her husband but if you assert that this was spoken of bad wives i shall briefly answer what necessity rests upon me to run the risk of the wife i marry proving good or bad it is better he says to dwell in a desert land than with a contentious and passionate woman in a wide house how seldom we find a wife without these faults he knows who is married hence that sublime orator Marius caminus says well the man who does not quarrel is a bachelor it is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a contentious woman in a house in common and a house common to husband and wife makes a wife proud and breeds contempt for the husband how much more if the wife be the richer of the two and the husband but a lodger in her house she begins to be not a wife but a mistress of the house and if she offend her husband they must part a continual dropping on a wintry day turns a man out of doors and so will a contentious woman drive a man from his own house she floods his house with her constant nagging and daily chatter and ousts him from his own home that is the church hence the same solomon previously commands my son flows forth beyond and the apostle writing to the hebrews says therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things spoken lest haply we flow forth beyond but who can hide from himself that is thus enigmatically expressed the horse leech had three daughters dearly beloved but they satisfied her not and the force is not satisfied when you say enough the grave the woman's love and the earth that is not satisfied with water and the fire that saith not enough the horse leech is the devil the daughters of the devil are dearly beloved and they cannot be satisfied with the blood of the slain the grave and the woman's love and the earth dry and scorched with heat it is not the harlot nor the adulteress who is spoken of but woman's love in general is accused of ever being insatiable put it out it bursts into flame give it plenty and it is again in need it invenerates a man's mind and engrosses all thought except for the passion which it feeds what we read in the parable which follows is to the same effect for three things the earth doth tremble and four for which it cannot bear for a servant when he is king and a fool when he is filled with meat for an odious woman when she is married to a good husband and an handmaiden that is heir to her mistress 
see how a wife is classed with the greatest evils. But if you reply that it is an odious wife, I will give you the same answer as before. The mere possibility of such danger is in itself no light matter. For he who marries a wife is uncertain whether he is marrying an odious woman or one worthy of his love. If she be odious, she is intolerable. If worthy of love, her love is compared to the grave, to the parched earth and to fire. Let us come to Ecclesiastes and adduce in a few corroborative passages from him also. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. We brought forth young under the law with Moses. Let us die under the gospel with Christ. We planted in marriage. Let us by chastity pluck up that which was planted, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And at the same time, he warns us not to prefer the law to the gospel, nor to think that virgin purity is to be placed on a level with marriage. Better, he says, is the end of the thing than the beginning thereof. And he immediately adds, Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. And he gives the reason why the latter days are better than the former, for wisdom with an inheritance is good. Under the law, carnal wisdom was followed by the sword of death. Under the gospel, an eternal inheritance awaits spiritual wisdom. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Behold, this only have I found, that God made man upright, that they have sought out many inventions. He says that he had found man upright. Consider the force of the words. The word man comprehends both male and female, but a woman, he says, among all these have I not found. Let us read the beginning of Genesis, and we shall find Adam, that is man, called both male and female. Having then been created by God, good and upright, by our own fault we have fallen into a worse condition, and that which is in paradise has been upright. When we left paradise was corrupt. If you object that before they sinned there was a distinction in sex between male and female, that they could not without sin have come together, it is uncertain what might have happened, for we cannot know the judgments of God and anticipate his sentence as we choose. What really happened is plain enough, that they who were in paradise remained in perpetual virginity, that they were expelled from paradise, were joined together, or if paradise admits of marriage, and there is no difference between marriage and virginity, what prevented their previous intercourse even in paradise? They are driven out of paradise, and what they did not there, they do on earth, so that from the veriest early days of humanity, virginity was consecrated by paradise, and marriage by earth. Let thy garments always be white. The eternal whiteness of our garments is the purity of virginity. In the morning we sowed our seed, and in the evening let us not cease. Let us who serve marriage under the law serve virginity under the gospel. I pass to the Song of Songs, and whereas our opponent thinks it makes altogether for marriage, I shall show that it contains the mysteries of virginity, 
Let us hear what the bride says before that the bridegroom comes to the earth, suffers, descends to the lower world, and rises again. We will make forth the likeness of gold with ornaments of silver while the king sits at his table. Before the Lord rose again and the gospel shone, the bride had not gold but likeness of gold. As for the silver, however, which she professes to have at the marriage, she not only had silver ornaments, but she had them in variety, in widows, in the continent, and in the married. Then the bridegroom makes answer to the bride and teaches her that the shadow of the old law has passed away and the truth of the gospel has come. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away, for lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. This relates to the Old Testament. Once more he speaks of the gospel and of virginity. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the pruning of vines has come. Does he not seem to you to say the very same thing that the apostle says? The time is shortened, and henceforth both those that have wives may be as though they had none. And more plainly does he herald chastity. The voice, he says, of the turtle is heard in our land. The turtle, the chastest of birds, always dwelling in lofty places, is a type of the Savior. Let us read the works of naturalists, and we shall find it is the nature of the turtle dove, if it lose its mates, not to take another. And we shall understand that the second marriage is repudiated even by dumb birds. And immediately the turtle says to its fellow, The fig tree hath put forth its green figs. That is, the commandments of the old law have fallen, and the blossoming vines of the gospel give forth their fragrance. Whence the apostle also says, We are a sweet savor of Christ. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. O my dove, thou art in the clefts of the rock, in the covert of the steep place. Let me see thy countenance, let me hear thy voice. For sweet is thy voice, and thy countenance is comely. Whilst thou coverest thy countenance like Moses, and the veil of the law remained, I neither saw thy face, nor did I condescend to hear thy voice. I said, Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. But now with unveiled face behold my glory, and shelter thyself on the cleft and steep places of the solid rock. On hearing this, the bride disclosed the mysteries of chastity. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He feedeth his flock among the lilies, that is, among the pure virgins. Would you know what sort of throne our true Solomon, the Prince of Peace, has, and what his attendants are like? Behold, he says, it is the litter of Solomon. Threescore mighty men are about it, of the mighty men of Israel. They all handle the sword, and are expert in war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh. They who are about Solomon have their sword upon their thigh, like Ehud, the left-handed judge, who slew the fattest of foes, a man devoted to the flesh, and cut short all his pleasures. I will get me, he says, to the mountain of myrrh, to those, that is, who have mortified their bodies, and to the hill of frankincense, to the crowds of pure virgins, and I will say to my bride, Thou art all fair, my love, and there is no spot in thee. Whence to the apostle, that he might present the church to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
come with me from lebanon my bride with me from lebanon thou shalt come and pass on from the beginning of faith from the top of sinar and hermon from the lion's den from the mountains of the leopards lebanon is being interpreted whiteness come then fairest bride concerning whom it is elsewhere said who is she that cometh up all in white and pass on by the way of this world from the beginning of faith and from sanar which is by interpretation god of light as we read in the psalm thy word is a lantern unto my feet and a light unto my path and from hermon that is consecration and flee from the lion's den and the mountains of the leopards who cannot change their spots flee he says from lion's dens flee from the pride of devils that when thou hast been consecrated to me i may be able to say unto thee thou hast ravished my heart my sister my bride thou hast ravished mine heart with one of thine eyes with one chain of thy neck what he says is something like this i do not reject marriage you have a second eye the left one which i have given you on account of the weakness of those who cannot see the right but i am pleased with the right eye of virginity and if it is blinded the whole body is in darkness but that we might not think he had in view carnal love and bodily marriage he at once excludes this meaning by saying thou hast ravished my heart my bride my sister the name sister excludes all suspicion of unhallowed love how fair are thy breasts with wine those breasts considering which he had said above my beloved is mine and i am his betwixt my breast shall he lie that is in the princely portion of the heart where the word of god has its lodging what wine is that which gives beauty to the breasts of the bride and fills them with the milk of chastity that forsooth of which the bridegroom goes on to speak i have drunk my wine with my milk eat o friends yea drink and be drunken my brethren hence the apostles also were said to be filled with new wine with new he says not with old wine because new wine is put into fresh wineskins and they did not walk in oldness of the letter but in newness of the spirit this is wine wherewith when youths and maidens are intoxicated they at once thirst for virginity they are filled with the spirit of chastity and the prophecy of zechariah comes to pass at least if we follow the hebrew literally for he prophesied concerning virgins and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof for what is his goodness and what is his beauty but the corn of the elect and the wine that giveth birth to virgins they are virgins of whom it is written in the forty-fifth psalm the virgins her companions that follow her shall be brought unto thee with gladness and rejoicing shall they be led they shall enter into the king's palace end of chapters 26 through 30 from book 1